Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Sex Questions stream. My name is Ashley. This is Andrew. We are your lovely hosts for this week. Um, so this stream we wanted to put on because we all have, we all face questions about sex, and we want to create a space for you guys to start these conversations, to ask questions, to discuss things, and wrestle through them. So that's what we're going to be doing today as well. As you know, we're talking about pornography. Um, if you didn't know that, you're in the wrong seminar. We won't judge you if you run and leave. Um, so the morning, how it will work, we're going to have a speaker come speak to us. Uh, then we will have a bit of time for you guys to discuss amongst yourselves, just a few minutes in small groups, chat about the things that you've heard. We're going to have a panel a bit later, hence all the chairs, uh, chatting through some more questions. And then there is a Q&A as well, which you can submit questions to. If you head to slido.com and type in the code SQThursday, all lowercase, you can anonymously submit questions there, and we will answer as many of those as we can. Yeah, we do really want to hear your questions. We want to know what are your big sex questions. And I'm sorry, I know if you've been here the last couple of days, we're getting so many questions, we can never hope to even scratch the surface, really, of how many we're getting. Yesterday, it was 130 in this particular morning session. So please do submit them, and we'll do our best to get to the most. But my encouragement to you, if you submit a question, and we don't get time to answer up here, why not go away and talk to your youth leaders? It might be they go wow, I haven't got a clue. It might be together you think, but actually that could be something we could look into. We could find someone else to ask. We could find a good book. We could find some reliable resources online that might help us to think about that. So keep a note of your questions and take them back to your home context, back to youth leaders and wrestle with them there. One other thing to say, we know that all through this week and very much including today, these topics we're talking about are going to hit home for so many of us. They're very personal, they're very real life. Many of us today will find actually this really resonates with me. It's something I'm uh, engaging in and want to think about and wrestle with in my own life. And we want to make sure we're looking out for each other as we talk about these sensitive real life topics. So we want to encourage you, if something gets kind of highlighted for you today, your youth leaders are great people to talk to. Why not take a moment this afternoon to share with them how this morning impacts the you to talk through some stuff, to ask them to pray with you. We're also hoping to have a bit of time today to respond as a whole group, just to come before God as we've thought about this topic. And then there'll also be their prayer team who'll be potentially moving around the room if we've got space and certainly over here as we finish today. So if you think, I just love someone to pray with me and stand with me as a reflect on what we've heard today, do make use of them. They really want to serve well this week and uh, look out for us and pray for us. So do make use of them at that point if you want to. Cool. Uh, it is my honor and joy to introduce our speaker this morning, the holder of five Guinness World Records, once beat Chris Hemsworth in a fist fight, the man, the legend, Sanjeev Manaktala. Please give him a huge round of applause. Thank you very much. Just to say, there is a bit more space, so if you can move forward, that'd be great. So people at the door can get there. Secondly as well, Ashley got something wrong. I don't have five Guinness World Records. I have three. One of them is being too loud, and therefore uh, I hope that I can achieve that once again today. Today we're talking about a subject that, truthfully, the word itself is really taboo. The word pornography is one that we don't really like saying. It's kind of have a bit of an ick to that word. But really, when we kind of look at the topic of it, it's prevalent in all of society. It's constantly around us. It's weird, isn't it? It feels that this word is offensive in society. And yet when we look on social media, when we look on TV, when we look across the Internet, it is something that is consistently there. A study was carried out in 2020 
And six in 10, 11 to 13 year olds stated that they had been exposed to explicit pornographic images. Some of them stating as young as seven. Just want to let that sober in for a second. For 14 to 18 year olds, the intentional use of pornography has increased to be around 79% of those who are aware of it and around about 64 who are intentionally using it. There are roughly 28,000 users per second who are using a pornographic website. And this also, by the way, this is not just a, a, a male-focused talk. This is for all genders. This is something that is prevalent in all of society for everyone. And I think as well in society, we've, we've seen the increase of uh, VIP subscription services or things like OnlyFans or things that are, are able to be more accessible in that way, but still change the idea of something that is subscription and masks that word of using the word subscription instead of what it actually is, which is pornography. It is more widely available than it has ever been before because social media has catalyzed it. The internet has catalyzed it to make it easily more accessible for every single person. So what's my heart today? What do, what do I want to achieve? What do I want to try and say and convey to you in this world? Well, today, my heart is to paint a clear picture of the gospel in the face of pornography for, who ha- for those who have faced it, tackled it, battled with it, fallen to it, succeeded in it, and who are dealing with pornography. I myself is someone who has had a battle against pornography. And I mean, my hope and my prayer, truthfully, I'll be honest with you, I'm semi-preaching to myself here, I'm semi-talking to myself here, in a way of reminding myself how I feel, how I've processed my thoughts, and then I hope by doing that, I'm conveying something to you. If I can just plant little seeds of stuff that I've journeyed with in my mind, in my thoughts, how I feel about this, and understand the Christian perspective of it, then I believe that at least I can sow seeds of the gospel that I hope would help you on your own journey, whether you know someone who's battling with it or whether you're battling with it yourself, regardless of who you are. That's my heart. I'm wanting to make sure that we are authentic and real and really shining a torch into an area of darkness that we don't often like talking about. The taboo subject for youth leaders, that is always an awkward one. I want to shine a light right into the darkness area so we can deal with this head on. And I pray that hopefully set some people free today for those who may struggle with it. That's my goal. Is that all right? That's not loud enough, to be honest. Is that all right? Good. Very good. First thing, though, we need to make sure we understand is what is pornography? It's really interesting. If you look in a dictionary, you look across different society definitions of pornography, there is not one consistent definition. So turn to the person next to you, someone you know, and just for a little bit, I want you to ask the question and discuss, what is pornography? What do you define as pornography? Go for it. Okay, I found a natural lull, so that works out. Um, Cool. I hope in even your discussions, there might be small differences. You might have kind of gone, something I see online. Some of them might have said, I kind of know when I see it, that it is pornography. Some of you might have said naked men or women on the internet, this variety of things. There's small differences in all of that. So we need to find a way of defining it properly. I think as well, if we look at society, the definition of pornography has changed. But overall, it's ebbs and flows of acceptance. Even in the New Testament, um, in the book of Revelations, one church is basically called out for carrying out sexual practices. One of the practices that was carried out was pornography. 
distributing in a way to ad advertising different practices that they would have done. So can I just say, if, if the concept is pornography is more accepted in society because this is new, it's not new. Pornography has ebbs and flows in society depending on what the sociological change is going on. Therefore, we need, to def we need to define the term to begin with to make sure that we are all on the same page with what we're talking about. Are we just talking about specific internet sites and magazines? Or are we talking about adult context? Or are we talking about materials that we might read? What is it? Well, where we get the word pornography from is the Greek word pornea, which is also derived from a similar Hebrew word, porneu which directly translate to sexual immorality, sexual sin, sexual acts, but it's not focused on the material itself. That's the first part. The second part of the word of pornography is graphai, which is again a Greek word, uh, and it means recording of material. Notice straight away that when the Bible is using the word, before we translate into English, when the Bible is using the word in porneia, it is talking about the, the intent. It's less about the, sec, um, the specific material, but where the heart is, where, where its use is. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman who lusts for intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If I look at something and I lust over them, even if they are not naked or nudie or anything like that, if I look at them with lustful intent, then the, the cause of pornea has happened because it's about what I'm doing with the material. So straight away, we're facing against the tide of culture with Christianity. Culture is saying pornography, specific material. Christianity is saying, where's your heart at? Very, very first thing we're tackling with that. But we're talking about pornography, so let's, let's define it. Right? This, is, this is what I believe, reading from the biblical descriptions and understanding it, this is what I believe my definition of pornography is that I'm going with today. What I believe it is is depictions of sexual subjects or sexual behavior in any recorded format that are consumed or used for lustful intent, which might be driven by arousal, entertainment, escape, and or affirmation. That, that's my definition. It's long, isn't it? But that's my definition. Any, any material recorded that is used as a lustful intent. It capsulates websites, but it also capsulates any other material that might be used. Hey, someone might put up a, an Instagram photo of them, uh, of a guy in, in just swimming shorts and nothing else, or a girl in a bikini. That there might not be anything intentionally, but actually what I'm defining by this is how it's used and the intent that it's used for can change that into, for the user's heart, into something that is not right. I want to be clear as well from the beginning that I'm not saying at all that sexual desire is a sin. I want to make really clear right that. Sexual desire is not a sin at all. Sexual desire is something that is God has given in us that is good as long as it is in the place that it needs to be in, i.e. marriage. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. Sexual desire is a glorious, godly thing if it's in the right place that it's meant to be. Rebecca McLaughlin in her book states it like this. If we were to put a fire in a fireplace, it's a beautiful, warm-hearted, marshmallow-toasting thing. But if I was to whip a fire in the middle of a room, 
and to just let it blaze. It's in this wrong location and it engulfs and burns and destroys. Or another analogy, um, if I take a TV remote and I point it at a TV, it turns on, it's, it's used for its purpose. But if I take a TV remote and I take it to the middle of camp on New Day and I try and turn my TV on at home from here, it's useless, it's wrong, it's misunderstood. So this is what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that sexual desire itself is wrong. No, it's glorious. But as soon as we use it for something else that is not meant to be, it translates from sexual desire into lust and lustful desire. John Piper states it like this. Lust is a sexual desire that dishonors its object and disregards God. It disregards the promises and the warnings of having or losing the beauties of Christ. So it's when we misplace our sexual desires in a way that is for us that we change what God has made for sexual desire into our own lustful desires. And that's what can happen with pornography. So we've got this definition of pornography and we can start to have a Christian lens on it. But the question of the seminar was not define what pornography is. The question of the seminar was what's the harm? So let, let me look at some aspects of it. From a sociological perspective, there's a lot of research on both sides of whether it's harmful or not. And, and the side that it's harmful is normally because it's saying, and rightfully so, it's saying it's, it's abusive, it's breaking culture, it's causing um, mental uh, problems and anxiety increase. But actually, those who are saying that it's okay in society, their argument is it basically allows you to talk more about it. And I, truthfully, I really disagree with that statement. I think you don't need to... Um, contribute or add or con um, be part of something to say you can then talk about it. For example, I don't need to murder someone to talk about murdering. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't need to go, oh, I've shot someone, now I can talk about that, it's not good to murder. Like, that's not really how it works. You don't need to contribute or, or be part of something to talk about it. So, so I think this, this seminar right now, us, uh, and, and this whole series of seminars, this is the right way of doing it. Talking about society and saying, actually, we need to deal with some of these subjects, I think this is the right way of dealing with it, rather than kind of going, ah, if you do it, you can talk about it. I think that's wrong. But that's one perspective on it. There's harm to that, because we see the, the as I said, um, the mental illness, the anxiety does increase with it. From a neurological perspective, from a biological perspective, there's a clear view that pornography affects the hormone le levels, i.e. dopamine. Anyone heard of dopamine? Classic, yeah, it's known as the happy, uh, addictive hormone. It's the one that basically, if I look at something, I become addicted to it because dopamine rushes to my brain in an unhealthy amount, and it basically goes, I need more of that. Like, that's really what addiction kind of is driven from. But instead of just that happening, what also happens, and, and what is being seen from a biological perspective, is that neuron um, pathways, a physical change happens in your brain when you look at a pornographic image that only more pornographic images can satisfy. So it's no longer just an addiction of anything else. There is literally a physical change that happens in your brain of when you look at pornographic images that only pornographic images can satisfy that same dopamine level. Or pornographic material can only satisfy us when you look at that material. So from, from a neurological perspective... There, there is also major harm that happens there as well. But what about the Christian perspective? It's easy to say it's a harmful and it's a sin, but why? Well, let's just look at one aspect of Christianity. 
Let's look at the aspect of the great commandment in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, which says, love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus uses that to say, from uh, quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he basically says, this summarizes all the Old Testament. If you, if you understand these two things, it summarizes the, all the Old Testament, basically. So let's just talk about that. Love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Which basically means if I love God with every aspect of me, I'm loving him because every aspect of me belongs to him. That, that's, that's what it's saying. And therefore, I want to love like him to those who are around me. That's what that's saying, right? It also means how I view other people. I view them how God sees them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I'm, I'm viewing others in a way that I believe God views them and wants to find them. So the question is, does pornographic material match against that? Well, the answer is no. It's not black and white. It's not, it depends. No, the answer is no. It fundamentally doesn't match against that. Because fundamentally, what that's saying is, and looking at pornographic material, is saying I want to be self-reliant, self-righteous in myself, saying I want to do all things by me, including I want to satisfy my own stomach, I want to satisfy my own sexual desire that is in me with looking at material that I can find, rather than saying I'm loving God with all of me, including my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength, i.e. body. That, that's what it's saying. Pornography is about relying on means that aren't God to satisfy your desire. It's misplacing the desire away from the glory of God into something that is a satisfying moment, well, a lying satisfying moment, just to kind of have a glimpse of satisfaction of our own belly. And when we click on whatever material we're going to, or when we look at whatever material we're going in, we're not going, wow, look at the image of God in this. Isn't God so good? for all of this material we're looking at? Or isn't so, God so good for this erotic book that I'm reading? Like we're not doing that, are we? What we're doing is saying, man, I wish, and I fantasize about this. I wish I could be that person. Or let me fantasize and let me um, look to satisfy my own desire. Let me look to fantasize about me. We're not thinking about those people on videos or magazines who might be broken or trapped or abused or blackmailed to be in that industry. I'm not thinking about that. So fundamentally, there's no way that pornography is okay. There's no way. And we end up falling into deceiving temptress and those pitfalls due to the lies that we might be talking to ourselves about instant gratification. Can I just say, I've been in that place, yeah? Like, what, this feeling, this, this is, these are my minds, this is my process that I've gone through. I've been in that place of thinking, man, I'm just stuck. But the reality is, porn is not a medicine that you can keep on taking in moderation to cope with. Porn is a poison that you, if you keep on taking, it will kill you, and it will consistently damage your identity and it would damage your viewpoint of sex and love. It's conditioning your body to believe in a false sexual desire of lust that the world views it as and tries to make money off it as well. That's what it is. And if you're in, in that place, like I said, I get it. The temptress is strong. 
you're a, a guy or a girl, whoever in your room, if you're in that place, look, I just want to stand here and just say, look, I understand. But there's hope. That's not the place we stay in. We don't stay in that place of shame. But let me try and process those thoughts. Let me take you on my journey of trying to understand. And, and, I, and I, as I was just trying to pray about this, and I've been, when I've been battling with this, I've ended up falling into two main, major train of thoughts. Number one, I need to understand how to learn to remove an addiction. How, how do you remove an addiction? Which commonly, from a sociological study, is talking about poisoning a habit. Right? That's, that's what we're talking about. I think for those who say there's no way out, I think for when I said to myself there's no way out, truthfully, I don't think I was being really honest with myself. For, for those who believe there's no way, uh, who truly believe there's no way out, then yes, professional medical help is needed. But I think for majority of us, I think it's because we don't fully understand the stakes of addiction. I don't think we fully understand what stakes are. It, it, imagine this, right? Imagine when you go back to your tent for lunch, and suddenly, the biggest desire to look at some pornographic material comes over you right now. And in that moment, um, I or you, Fleeder, comes into, the, in, into your site uh, with either a sibling or parent with a gun to their head. And I say, if you look at this material, I will shoot them. I'm pretty sure that whatever you're on, whatever device it might be, you will shut that straight away and be like, you know what, I'm all right, I'm good, thank you, Jesus, I'm healed. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think that's what happened. In the same way, I think if, I, um, if you're in that same scenario and I came to you and I said, look, I've got a million pounds for you and I will give you a million pounds for every day that you do not look at anything, I'm pretty sure you'd be like, I've won the lottery, I'm good, thank you, Jesus, I'm blessed. Like, I think, I think that's what the reaction would be because the stakes would be high. The stakes of it would be high. We often think that we are controlled by our desire. We're controlled by our hormones. We think we're controlled in that moment. But I think that's a lie. I think we're more controlled about what we believe in than anything else. I think we um, use our desires as a scapegoat to do what we want to do rather than actually believing in something that is better. I wonder how much of it is really we cannot change to we actually don't want to change. I, I wonder how much that balance it is because we don't understand the cost. So to really figure out how to deal with an addiction, we need to understand the cost of it. That's my first train of thought. My second train of thought is I think, there, I think with pornography is something that mainly emerges from the darkness, i.e. alone in the room, in your bathroom by yourself, late at night, early in the morning. I think the majority of the times when people are falling into that is when they're in literally a place of isolation or in darkness. Even if it's something that you might have spoken about with your friends or watching a YouTube video, then suddenly it's clicked off a thought that translates more and more and more. The thoughts escalate and grow and grow and grow. Suddenly when you're in a place by yourself, then the moment happens. You're kind of seeing it more as an opportunity to just... Deal with that build. I, th I think that's where it happens. The mind often tricks us to take action in some way because it, the feeling of it is unbearable. Just to say that the sin or the issue is not at the act of masturbation. It's not at the act of, of, of that side. I think we often mistake that when we finish using pornography, because that's when shame and guilt, that's when it seeps in, I think it's 
uh, I think we, we find the lie that it's at that moment that we cross the line. Now, if we look at what the Bible says, we've crossed the line when we first started to lust with our hearts, even before we might look at a material. <laughs> That's where the line is. Therefore, because of this lie, we believe that we are alone because it happens often when we are alone. And we believe we're lost and we believe we're broken and we believe, in, we believe we're unworthy. And hey, sometimes we believe we're perverts in that way. We believe we're disgusting or shameful and we let that grow and fester and that no one else would understand and, and, and no one else can help us change and no one else can understand what's going on. We have like David-like moments looking at Bathsheba on, on, top of a, on top of a hill and we loathe the Joseph-like people who are able to get up and run away. Like we, we, we feel lost, we feel trapped, we feel broken because all of that happens at moments where we feel alone. And some of you, I feel that you think you're alone. That's my two trains of thoughts. However, how do we balance both of those trains of thoughts and deal with this? Enter Jesus. <laughs> Enter Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life. But the temptations were in front of him. I tell you what, I tell you what's beautiful about Jesus. There was no other savior in any other religion. There's no other savior that walked with the, the ones he's wanting to follow. Can I just remind us that Jesus was once a young person? Jesus was a youth. He was like one of us. He would have blended in the crowd there. It'd be annoying because, like, if Jesus was asked to do the slops, he would always do it every time. Do you know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't be like, oh, I've got to go to the toilet. Like, he would always do it. Like, he, Jesus, would, Jesus was the best, man. And, and Jesus was a youth. And therefore, because he was a youth, he's experienced things like a youth. Jesus experienced temptations like a youth. Jesus went through hormonal changes like a youth. Jesus was like me and you. He went through temptations. When Jesus was doing his ministry, he hung around people that were outcasts of society. Those who were not like the, the majority. Some of those people were prostitutes. There was a moment where a, an ex-prostitute fell at Jesus' feet and broke this fragrance all at his feet and used her hair to wipe his feet. I'm not saying there was a moment where there could have been a flicker of temptation. What I'm saying is that Jesus was around moments where there could have been tempted times. We know Jesus was tempted because of the 40 days in the desert. That's, that's recorded in a way to make us understand that Jesus went through temptations. Therefore, if Jesus went through any temptations, it would be true to believe that Jesus was probably put in situations of sexual temptation. And yet Jesus never failed. Do you know you, you have a saviour that went through sexual temptations. I truly believe that because he was like us. But he didn't fail. He didn't falter. And, and when you give your life to Christ, you're no longer in Adam, but in salvation of Jesus, like Andrew said yesterday night. We don't need to fall into our misplaced desire, but we have full access to the freer. It's as if that in the moment on the cross, all your porn addiction, all your moments, all your sexual sin was pinned to the cross. And kind of Jesus was, was pinned, dying on the cross as a substitute for the potential misplaced sexual desire that's turned into lustful desire that you have. 
Jesus took that and pinned that to the cross for that to be killed so that you could be given a white cloth of righteousness and be made whole and get all the benefits what you get of being a son or daughter of the living God. Galatians 4 verse 4 describes it in this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You are adopted in Christ. That is a new identity. It's a shift in mindset. As long as we, men and women, play victim to lust as this great omnipotent enemy and think that we are helpless, we're done for. We're always going to be lost. We're always going to lose. But when we repent and turn our eyes to Jesus and say, no, you, you died on the cross for me. You died in place for me. The change comes. The identity shifts and we become belonging to him. It's not about the actions or the tears that come. It's about the relationship of the high king that changes exactly who I am and now I belong to him. And everything else translates in that way. We're not just escaping moments of shame or trying to deal with blessing and battle. We need to learn to genuinely want God. Want God above every other thing. I talked about knowing the stakes. What weighs up more? A million pounds or eternity with Jesus? What weighs up more? What weighs up more losing a family member or losing my life in separation from Jesus in being in hell? Look, the stakes, the stakes of Christianity are far greater than losing a family member and, lo- and gaining a, hun- a million pounds. The stakes of Christianity is way bigger than that. And therefore, if I'm in Christ, I gain all of God, which means I gain all of his help, which gain, means I gain the Holy Spirit to enable me to live a life with Jesus every single day. And therefore, in those moments where sexual desire comes, I can go, no, the stakes of this is far greater because I've received Jesus. And because I received Jesus, that stake, that glory that I get, that union, that relationship is far better than trying to fall into sexual desire that being misplaced. That's the stakes. The second thing I said about being alone, guess what? God sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit that I will never be alone. You are the temple of the living God. God is living in you. And because God is living in you, you walk with God. Therefore, even if the build of sexual lust builds up more and more and more, in that moment, I can cry out to the Lord and he will answer me. Similar to what Andrew said last night, uh, I don't need to wait on the goats anymore to be taken out. Imagine that. Imagine that. Like, build up sexual desire. Okay, let me just go outside and kill a goat and then now I can just wait until it's taken out of the... Do you know what I mean? Like, it would have been a long process. Now, guess what I do? I'm in a build of sexual desire. Jesus, help me. Fine. And it's being persistent. It's going with it. But, that, but no longer am I alone. I can cry in the name of the Lord. So right now, how do I repent and deal with this? If, the, if you're in this place, how do you repent and deal with this before we start having our panel discussion? I think there's one key answer here. We need to open up our hearts We need to open up our hearts and remember who Jesus called us to be. We need to see God's gospel, God's glory, God's warnings to us. 
and understand the relationship that we have with God and measure up the stakes to allow God to fully capture our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The Bible talks more about sexual, misplaced sexual desire than a lot of things. In, there are literally in the book of wisdom, Proverbs, there are chapters just dedicated to this subject to make sure that we will be wise in moments like this. It's not about what was going to happen in the moment. It's about the great eternal consequences. Please be aware that every time that you are tempted is a spiritual battle that you are facing. I want to make this really clear, right? That when you go home, this normally happens after New Day, right? Like, let me just paint the picture that youth leaders all know. After New Day, everyone's on a high. And about a week after, the enemy comes in to try and rob and steal everything that has happened. And one of the things, if you are in this seminar today, one of the things that is going to happen is you'll be put in a position where your sexual desire will increase about a lustful material. I'm going to just say this now. Like, just to make you very aware that this is going to happen within the next week. In that moment, what do you do? Father, I belong to you. Therefore, my sexual desire belongs to you. Therefore, even if temptation arise, and boy, it might arise in various ways. Jesus, I give my life to you, so I give my sexual desire to you, so I'm not going to deal with it because my relationship with you is far more important than anything else. God knew what he was buying when he bought you. He knew what he got. Culture is trying to turn our eyes away from Jesus and to look at sexual desire and sexual satisfaction as something we should look for. I'm saying to you, forget that. Godly desire, godly satisfaction, godly relationship is way more important than anything else. If you're tired... By the way, I just want to say this as well as I close. If you're tired and you've been in this journey and you feel like it's just been a cycle, well, let me paint it another way. Every year at New Day, you've gone to one of these type of talks or you've chatted with the youth leader and you're like, ah, every time I fall into this and it's just a cycle of stuff or it's an every month thing. Don't stop. Keep on going. Pick yourself up. Shake yourself down and keep walking with God. There's no shame. Yeah, there's challenge and conviction. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that some of us will be, get, will be get, um, convicted by this. I do pray that. But there's no shame. There's no guilt. Why? Because we're in Jesus. And therefore, if I fail, if I slip up, guess what I do in that moment? Jesus, I'm grateful that you died on the cross in place of me. Because your death on the cross means that I don't get to lose something which is far worse, which is you. So I, I, I brush myself down, I get myself up, and I keep on going. The enemy, if you're tired, I tell you what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to basically pull you away from God more and more. Have you ever sat in like in a floaty in, in the sea? Or like in water? Have you ever done this? Yeah, like what would happen if you just sat still on a floaty after five minutes? You're meant to be here, and suddenly you've drifted all the way out here. That's what's happened. That's one of the enemy's greatest ways of doing stuff. One of the greatest things that the enemy can do is make you think that you are fine with God and slowly float you away until you hit a moment of being like, oh, I'm so far from God, I can't really come back. I want to explicitly just shine light on that lie right now. God has never left you. God will never leave you. There's no way that you can ever fall away from him. Turn around and he's right there. So if you're finding tired about this, Brush yourself down, get yourself up, and know that God is with you. 
Let's live a life that glorifies God and shows his love to others in a way that looks like Christ and therefore a life that glorifies him. Amen? Great. Jeeves, thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your wisdom. So good. Um, We are bringing up a panel. Awesome. So we've got some more brains to pick. I need my notes. While I figure out what I'm supposed to be asking. Um, Can you tell us your name and where you're from? And my favorite intro question, what superpower would you have? Um, I'm Alice. I'm from... Um, I'm from KCC in Southampton, um, and if I had a superpower, I think it would be, I don't, invisibility, I think, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Hi, I'm Jo from Liberty Church Amsterdam, and um, (laughs) there's clearly no one here from Amsterdam. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Pretend. Um, And I think if I had a superpower, it would be teleportation. Because living abroad, it would be just so much more convenient to just, you know, travel places without the need of a boat or plane. Uh, my name's Dave. I'm from KCC Southampton as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. Uh, no, I and I've had a super. I have I have four kids, and if I could do that thing you see in sci-fi where the people like like clone themselves or divide themselves. If I could do it so I could give them all attention at once, that would be brilliant. So. What a great dad. <laughs> yeah, we won't touch on that. Um, great. First question then. So Jesus talked about this a little bit in terms of the definition of pornography, uh, but it just might be helpful to talk about that a little bit more. Um, so when we talk about pornography, are we also, like typically we'll think of things that are more visual images, uh, that kind of thing. Are we also talking perhaps about erotic books, maybe even stuff like sexting? How does that all fit into this topic? I think it all comes under that category of pornea, um, sexual morality. Um, there's, there's a horrendous line um, that was used, I think, in the US Senate when they were trying to discuss um, uh, whether stuff was art or pornography or whatever, and a senator just said, I'll know it when I'll see it. Mm. Um, and actually, a lot of the time... You know, you, you know when you're stepping into that line of like, this isn't purity, this isn't worship, there's some compromise here. I'm stepping into some form of grey here. Um, but I, I, I would say, uh, even more so than when, when I was a youth and I would have come to these kind of talks in New Day many years ago, um, I think we, we live in a pornographic culture where there is so much around us, um, whether it's advertising, whether it is um, just lyrics in songs, um, all sorts of things that are pointing you to some form of pornea, some of which you might find harmful because you're a, a visual person or a, you're a person that's clued into words or likes stuff written down, um, some of which might not be too much of an issue for you, um, but you know um, a lot of the time. And if you're not sure, maybe chat around with someone as well, um, maybe you need and say, oh, it, it, does this still seem safe? Is this not? Um, yeah, is that helpful? Um, yeah, yeah. Really good. I think as well, just thinking about what is, it's almost good to think about what isn't. <laughs> like, like it tells us in the Bible to think on what is pure and lovely and holy. So it's almost like not how close can I get to the line before I fall over it, but like how far can I stay away from the line? How much can I set my heart and affection on Jesus um, rather than is this, isn't it? Like actually, actually, isn't he lovely? Isn't he wonderful? Yeah, that's good. Excellent. 
Great. Um, I think one of the problems we have with this topic is often it's the way historically we talk about it or even now still talk about it is it's very male-centric, very male-dominated. Um, why do you think it's important for women to talk about this too and be involved in the conversation? Yeah, this is a big thing I battled with, um, being a teenager addicted to porn um, and feeling like I was the only girl in the world um, suffering with that. Um, and I just want to speak to perhaps some of you girls who are in here who maybe throughout the whole time that Sanjeev was talking, your heart was just pounding because you felt this sense of, oh, does everyone know? Do people know stuff about me? Um, and I just feel that God would say he sees you and you're not alone. Um, and I, for me, felt like, oh, it's acceptable for a boy to be addicted to porn because it's normal. That's, everyone talks about it in a guy context. But within girls, I'm unclean. I'm never going to ever have the capacity to be loved in a loving way. A guy's going to think I'm dirty. I'm meant to be pure, and I'm not. Um, and so I felt this real shame that felt different, perhaps, to what I perceived the shame to look like on a guy. And so I think it's really important that we open up this conversation so that we women and girls find freedom too, because um, that's God's intention for us. He didn't send Jesus to the cross to die, that we would still live in shame. He sent him to the cross so that we could choose freedom and step into that. And so it's the same for the girls as it is for the guys. And so just want to say that and make that really clear. Yeah, I, I can't agree enough with that. I think as well what is happening in society is, um, like, I said, like I mentioned before with subscription services, it's, it's um, glorifying, really, the world is glorifying women who um, contribute more into it as well. And I, and I think, you know, with subscription services, like either, you know, private Snapchats or private Instagrams or OnlyFans and this kind of stuff that is increasing, I think the world is basically saying... Um, Pornography is the guy's problem, um, but it's actually okay for, for women to, to add into that. And that's so wrong. That's so backwards. Um, and, it, and, and it's important that we talk to everyone about it because, um, and I want to make this clear, like it's not um, women who cause the problem. Yeah? And I think any guy who thinks like that has got a wrong understanding of their godly sisters completely. And, and it's, not, like, it's not at all that. The problem is with the guys, first of all, about a lustful heart. The problem is with us, like, we're, you know, we're, where we've misplaced sexual desire. And, um, and I think it's really important that we're talking to everyone, and it's a topic that we need to talk to everyone about because we need to educate ourselves on how to deal with it, but we need to educate each other, men and women, about how to encourage our brothers and sisters in that as well. So it's something that needs to be talked about to all, all genders, but in particular, I think we need to rectify how we've made it a guy thing to make sure that we are releasing those um, wonderful women who might be in that place and thinking they're shackled to that and, and exactly what Alice said and, and Alice's story in that way as well. Excellent. Aren't they a good panel? Great. Yeah. Okay. Practical question. Um, so, yeah, any practical advice for people who are struggling to get free from porn? Anything that maybe has helped you or that you've seen has helped other people? Any wisdom? I think um, some really practical things. I think for me, my story, very similar to Alice, but in terms of like, mine was like just secret for like 20 odd years and I was just like, this is just weird and <laughs> no one else is going to think like this. And, you know, in a moment like this, God just kind of put his finger on my heart 
and gave me a wonderful older lady in the church who I could go and talk to. So I think one is finding a safe person. And I basically just went to her. She's the first person I ever told. And just she just loved me. So I think one, just being assured that when we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive, but he's also given us a church family who just love us and support us and encourage us. So I made myself accountable to her. She asked me every single week. So th- knowing that someone is going to ask you the question makes you a little hot on like, <laughs> I don't want to have to go and say to you again that I've messed up. Like it's like, oh no, here I am again. But just her being able to just be like, and she still asks me incrementally now. Um, in fact, just part of my story in telling her, um, God does stuff suddenly and he does stuff slowly. In telling her and exposing light on my sin, habitual sin, um, sexual sin, um, it broke it. And I can sit here and say that I've been free ever since. I'm not saying I've not been tempted ever since, but I've been free ever since. For some of us, it happens like that. For others, I know it's a bit more like uh, they describe it as a bungee rope, that they get so far and then they just get snapped back. And I think my prayer in this place today is that some bungee ropes will be cut. But um, I think just just exposing stuff to the light um, is huge. So accountability is one thing. Um, just being honest and vulnerable with someone, yeah, is is massively helpful. I think um, just like any form of uh, addiction uh, and people who've been involved in all sorts of different worlds, struggle with all sorts of things, will say the same thing to you. You don't make your decisions, your best decisions, when you're in your most vulnerable yeah, place. Yeah. And so if you're loitering around by that cliff edge and you happen to go over, then that's just a consequence of where you were. You make your best decisions far back from that, and that's where you're safe. Um, So, yeah, I am 33 years old. I'm married, father of four. I've been a pastor of a church. I have to have accountability software on every single of my devices that I own. I'm just honest. I need that because I don't know what it's going to be like when I am tired and stressed and under some form of kind of emotional pressure of some way and I might want to go back to that muscle memory of earlier years of, oh, that's how I dealt with stuff when I was confused. So I have to make my best decision. You have to put in your accountability um, relationships from a a place of kind of, yeah, sensible and thinking about it before you get to the close edge. You need to get, whether it's software for you, whether it's getting rid of devices, getting rid of books, just stopping hanging around certain people, all that kind of stuff, cutting out just certain other content that you might um, deliver. I've noticed a lot. I I consume quite a lot of content. I I like YouTube, okay? And I'm very well at some of the YouTube personalities I like, even though they create content about, I like fighting. So um, it might be fighting or football, all that kind of stuff for me. They're only a couple of steps away from people creating sexual content in a lot of ways. And sometimes I have to be like, I'm just not going to listen to that guy yeah. or that girl because they, they get this guest on that's like this and like this. And so it's all about these decisions to separate yourself from that cliff edge yeah. when you're in a safe place. Yeah. Uh, because when you're on that cliff edge, it's anything goes. Can I just, uh, just add, because I'm aware of questions. Um, for those who are note-takers, accountability software is a big one for me. There's two really good ones. There's one called Covenant Eyes, which is a banger. Like, that's really, really helpful, actually. And another one called Blocker X. So Blocker X is really, really handy. Both of them, from a tech side, means that it's hard to get past as well. Because I'll be honest with you, like when there's times when temptation arises and you just don't know what to do, there's moments where you're kind of like, 
can I bypass this? Both of those have really good tech software, which means it's quite hard to be able to do that as well, being really, really vulnerable. Uh, secondly, as well, uh, in terms of accountability, um, find someone, but find someone you're happy to kind of uh, throw a Hail Mary past to. What I mean by that is when you're in that moment, you're just like, look, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm really struggling here. Find someone who you're able to send a quick text to um, and throw a Hail Mary pass, and, and even if it's just a disguise test or um, hi, someone, something's knocking at the door, uh, that it's just a random text. At least what you can do is you can send a pass and just kind of do that. Um, from a hormonal level, have a cold shower, calm yourself down in that way, go for a walk, get some exercise out, because that really helps. And then the last one as well, I bought myself a lockbox, which had a timer on it as well. It was 60 quid and it was so worth it, because what I do, if I'm in that moment, I put it in the box, I turn the dial on it, that puts it about an hour, and I lock it away, which means that at least I can step away from the device that's been tempting me. I think sometimes we're not willing to put our wallet where our heart and desire is. And I think it's really important that to measure up the cost of our relationship with Jesus, it must cost something. And majority of times, it should be our lives because I give up my life for Jesus. Sometimes part of that is my, my love of money. And therefore, that needs to consistently die for Jesus, which means if I need to buy a software to be able to stop me from falling into it, it's so worth it because of the cost of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right. Sorry. Great. I was at one thing on accountability. This helped me so much when someone said to me a few years ago, if we are asking someone to keep us accountable, i.e. to ask us those difficult questions, or with someone who's someone asked to do that, the role of accountability is not to have someone that's going to make you feel so ashamed you're going to not do something. Feeling ashamed will never help you change your behavior. In fact, it will make you do worse. Accountability is gospel coaching. It's having a cheerleader alongside saying, okay, thank you for your honesty. You've confessed. Have you confessed that to God? Here's what Jesus now thinks of you. He doesn't remember it. He sees you as pure and perfect. His spirit is in you. You're a new creation. It's this thing of spurring someone as a gospel coach, not a, you've done bad again. You feel bad now, don't you? Don't want to do it next week. You'll feel bad again. No, it's... Jesus is with you. You can do this. I found that so, so helpful. We're going to turn to your questions. Thank you once again for so many really good, really honest, open, lots of questions. We don't have time for a few, but I want to start with one which is the core of a lot of questions that come through. A simple question, is masturbation sinful? Try very hard to masturbate without lusting. That's not an honest question, but like, you can't. You can't. You can't do that. Um... Uh, if if you are, what, is it 15 plus? Yeah. If you're touching yourself in that way, let's be real, it's not because you're thinking nice Jesus thoughts. It's because you're pushing away from Jesus. Um, and what I would also say, when it comes to pornography, what we don't kind of acknowledge almost enough is there's this multi-sensory thing that yeah. is going on. Yeah. And there's different kind of chemical releases going on and... Uh, when you're, you are getting sensations from touch and you're getting sensations from sight and sound and chemical stuff, it all equates to a far bigger, tough, um, tough problem. I, I, I smoked for, for many years, and when I, when, I, when I quit, it was so hard because I wasn't just missing chemicals, I was missing a habit of, of, of rolling or putting stuff in my mouth or yeah. the, the social ritual around it. And why would I smoke I have to deal with this thing? And it's exactly the same with porn. It's a multi-sensual thing that can struggle you, that bring you in. And the, the masturbation side of it is probably the biggest sense, actually, I'd say. Yeah. Really helpful. We're going to try and go quite quick fire. One question, maybe this is a scenario where someone's feeling quite tangled up in engaging in pornography they don't want to. And the simple question is, who do you tell? 
and how do you confess? How do you start that conversation? Um, I think Joe kind of touched on it earlier. Um, tell someone you trust. Um, tell somebody who you have a relationship with that you feel they can bear the weight of that conversation. Um, and tell somebody that you're going to see regularly enough for the check-ins to be good. Um, you could tell somebody, and then if you don't see them for six, seven months, actually it's really hard to form any sort of accountability. Um, yeah, that's just some simple practical stuff. Um, but also I think it's got to be somebody you feel safe with. Um, I know when I first shared about my struggle, I felt extremely vulnerable. Um, the devil had fed me the lie that if I told anybody, I'd be dis disgraced and be sent out and no one would ever want to speak to me again. So it needs to be somebody you feel safe with, that you feel can hold you in that moment, love you well, love what Andrew said about point you to what Jesus says about you. Um, and yeah, just make sure that you trust them, they make you feel safe and um, can bear with you in your vulnerability. Very quickly, because I know you want to do quick fire. I think just a quick note to youth leaders and any parents in the room, make this conversation normal. <laughs> like use the words pornography, masturbation, lust in your conversations, in your homes. Don't make it so that it's like when the first time the word is being said, it's the first time like actually let it be part of our normal conversations. Let's normalize like these guys have done such an incredible job this week starting the conversation, but youth leaders and parents, like it's up to us. I'm a mum of four. I want my kids to be able to come and say anything to me and for them not to be like, oh, what's she going to say? Um, and we want, we want to be creating that culture in all our churches. Good. One more. I've been baptised and I've watched pornography. Should I get baptised again? Okay, so that's a different, that's probably a different side of the question, but let's answer it directly, no. Uh, baptism is a public declaration of faith of what has already happened on the inside, and therefore what we believe, baptize, you baptize once. What, we, what I'm saying, not saying in that, is that you can't recommit yourself. Yeah, so I'm not saying you can't recommit yourself, which I'm guessing is the, is the person who read this question, I'm guessing was the intent of that person's heart. Um, so, if that is you, when we give a bit of time for prayer, have time to recommit yourself to Christ. Yeah, you don't need to get baptized again. Why? Because Jesus has already done the work. Yeah, but it's always about daily recommitting ourselves to make sure that we're recalibrating ourselves to belong to Jesus. So direct answer, no, but hopefully the answer, um, the reason is there as well. And a final one, how do you change your mindset from one that looks at girls or could be guys lustfully to one that looks at girls or guys as sisters or brothers in Christ? When our thinking is being shaped by porn, how do we respond to that? Yeah, I, th I think for me, um, very quickly, is falling in love with Jesus more. Because as I fall in love with Jesus more, I start to grab his heart. And as I start to grab his heart, I start to grab how he looks at everyone else. And if I don't fall in love with Jesus more, then I start letting myself and my flesh feed my desires to everyone else. And so the best place to start about how I look at people, my brothers and sisters, is to see them as Jesus does. To see them as Jesus does is I need to see who Jesus is. Now, if I see who Jesus is, that means I can fall more in love with him and let that transpire from there. And absolutely amazing. Uh, just off the back of a slightly more practical thing, that I, I, when I'm in a, a lustful place, um, I just have to ask God for that perspective, but particularly um, to see them and put words on it. They are his children. And that is a brother, that is a sister uh, in Christ. And to really... Ask him to make my heart align with 
with his and that uh, my feelings would be more similar to the way I see my own sisters and drag myself to that, that place. So good. You don't break a habit by just trying harder. Like, we don't want the story that you walk out of this place go, oh, I just must try a little bit harder. I must do X, Y, and Z, and then I'll be fine. Actually, we replace it with a greater affection. And he is the greatest of affections. And you're never going to find someone who is more glorious, more wonderful, more beautiful, more incredible to look at than Jesus. And so we want him to be capturing our hearts, not um, just trying harder. Amazing. Um, we just want to give space, really, to allow God to do his work. Um, I'm aware of time, aware that tummies might be grumbling, but the reality is I'd rather let our tummies grumble, but God to do his work in us rather than anything else. So if you can do me a massive favor, can you just shut your eyes where you're at? Yeah. Right now, what we are doing in this moment is we're taking a stand to say, I recognize this is not a, sp- this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's, it's coming in and being in a place to say, God, I want to pursue you and I want to deal with stuff that I might be in. Youth leaders and red caps, um, just be, keep your eyes open a little bit so you can be aware of this. But what I want to do, if you are someone who is saying, you know what, today's a day I'd either want to recommit myself to Christ and say, I want to be done with this. Or if you feel in a place of shame or conviction or anything that's been said today has put you in a place to go, you know what, I want to deal with this right now. Why don't you stand for me now? If you stand up, if you want to get prayer, if you want to deal with this, if you're in a place where you're like, I want to deal with this right now, stand up. No need to clap. I love you. No need to clap. Because right now, it's not clapping the fact that they're making a, stunt, uh, making a step. It's the fact that they are remembering their relationship with Jesus and weighing up the stakes. Youth leaders and red caps, those around them, if you're able to maneuver your way around, let's just start praying. Let me pray from the front, and then whilst people are standing, I'm going to release everyone to go. Is that all right? Yeah. I'm going to release everyone else to go. But we just want to make sure that those who are stood up, God deals with something right now because you're standing to say, I'm making a step to say no more. So Heavenly Father, I pray over all my brothers and sisters in Christ that are saying no more. I'm done with this. The Holy Spirit, that you would be with them. You would be close. Holy Spirit, come do the work right now. Come do the work. Oh, loving Father, come be with your children. Come be with those who love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the relationship with you. And we give this to you right now. We pray for every single person here who's standing that is saying, now, no more. Holy Spirit, be close. I pray as well over all of us. Holy Spirit, protect us when temptation arises that we would not fall. But I thank you, Jesus, that if we do fall, there is great grace and love that you pour out, not to allow us to keep on failing, but allow us to restore us in a relationship with you. So, Jesus, we give ourselves to you fresh again in your holy name. Amen.